Hey legends, welcome back to another episode here at the Vault Podcast by Legendary Youth. I'm your host, Easy. Um, before we get started, I just want to say that uh, we do have all three um, uh, days of the conference uploaded. Uh, it took us a little bit of time, unexpected break, because I had to uh, gather all those preachings. Because, um, first of all, I promised you guys that I was going to record them. But second of all, I didn't want you guys to miss those preachings where God moved, changed, and transformed people's lives. Uh, if you missed it, we do have um, services every Friday at 7.30. So we, if you guys don't have anywhere to go, if you have like a free day and just want to check it out, we encourage you guys come, come down. And visit us, you know, at 5501 Auto Center Drive, Antioch, California. So if you're in town, uh, please come join us. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We want to make uh, more friends, you know, not just friends, but family in Christ. And, you know, motivate each other and learn what God has done in different people's lives. You know, that's a beautiful thing when we hear what God is doing in and just you know different parts of the of the world not just here in our cities so with that uh today we have a special guest the henderson family she speaks uh well she talked actually about her uh testimony with her family it's it's a powerful so i don't want to you know do any spoilers so with that here is the preaching god bless you guys Uh, I'll tell you just a little bit more about myself. I love to travel. I love desserts. We're talking about like Friday night. So for years, when our girls were little, we can afford um, to eat out. We can afford a babysitter and dinner, right? It's either the dinner or is the babysitter. So every night, my husband on Friday night would bring me home Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. And for a mom that was homeschooling three daughters, you're like, it was heaven. We'd watch a movie. We'd put the kids to bed early. And so I love desserts. So when you're talking about that, I'm thinking my husband's going to be taking me out afterwards tonight. So um, love to travel. My husband is actually training for an Ironman. I don't know if you know it. Uh, it's a triathlon, 70.3 miles in July. So this is not helping matters because I'm, I'm supposed to be deep in training, but really enjoying doing that with my husband. So you may ask, what qualifies me to be up here with you today? Um, I'm not a pastor. I'm not famous. I've never written a book. I have no PhD. But it's just by the grace of God that I stand before you today and able to share what God has done in my life. Uh, let's just pray. Lord God, I just I invite you here. I thank you so much for that worship that just prepared me, Lord God, from the worries of the day, Lord God, that can distract me for what you have for your children tonight, Lord God. I pray, God, you prepare our hearts, Lord God, Holy Spirit, that you'd work through us, meet each and every one of us right where we're at today, God. I would give you all the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have a two-part story. First, it's about forgiveness, and then it's about hope. And I want to tell you some stories about my life, my personal stories. All right. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Let's just, has anybody ever lost a phone? Okay. 
Have you ever lost your phone more than once? I know, like when we were growing up, we didn't have cell, like I try to tell my kids, we didn't even have a computer when I was growing up, so a cell phone. I know a lot of people can relate to cell phones because now I, I don't even know my, my mom's phone number, I just know it's on speed dial, right? So sometimes we, if we're breathing here today, we've all experienced loss, right? Maybe a cell phone for a young person, um, it, it could be a parent. We've all experienced loss, but there's one thing that God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So I'm very thankful for God. So, okay, I'm gonna tell you a story and can we put the first slide up? Okay, oh, there's my, oh, that's actually the first slide. I was worried I was gonna forget my slides. <laughs> that's my family. <laughs> All right, can we put the next slide up? Okay. So I'll tell you a story about this little guy right here. This is Dion. Dion was, well, in that picture, about two and a half years old. So it was a cold winter, and Dion's great-grandma was watching him that day. It was a cold and rainy day. Where my grandmother lived, it, the laundry room was outside. You know, I don't know if you remember those, like, apartment buildings, and you walked outside to the laundry room. Well, that day, Grandma Mary walked out to change her laundry over. And what she didn't think about doing was leaving Dion alone inside the house. So he's about four and a half years old. Grandma Mary comes back. And she's outside. And her door is locked. And Dion is peering through the window, laughing, jumping up and down on Grandma's couch. See, he had locked her outside in the rain in her blue bathrobe. So grandma had to march down to her landlord's house and ask him to open the door. I'm gonna tell you another story about this mischievous little guy behind me. Same, same year, we were at Christmas and he had a mischievous little niece, uh, cousin named Samantha, same age. And my sister's having one of those little glass parties and so we put all the kids in one room and they were being so good. Like, they were so amazing. I was like, oh, my word. My little four-and-a-half-year-old, he's just doing amazing. Lo and behold, we walked in, and him and his cousin had decided to color each other from head to toe with permanent Sharpie. For days, days, it did not come out of his scalp and all over his skin, but they thought it was great fun. Next slide. So this picture, this is actually, it's my son, if you haven't figured that out. This is Dion, and um, I was, it was in 19, well, that picture's, yeah, about 1997. And it's so cool. Um, I was living with my grandma. I was, the cool part was not, I was single, I was a single mom. And I was doing everything I could to make ends meet. But I had a comfortable home, and I had just started dating Rick, um, at that time, he was my boyfriend. So now he's still my boyfriend, but now I get to call my husband too. <laughs> so January, I'm going to fast forward. January 1998, I remember that day really well. It was the Saturday morning, and Dion had been complaining of a headache. And I had taken him to the doctor that morning. And the doctor had said that it was the flu. 
And she said, I want you to take Dion home, and I want you to put him down for a nap, and I want you to give him some Tylenol, and he'll feel much better when he wakes up. I did exactly as the doctor said. I remember that day well. Stopped off at a gas station, got him a green Gatorade, took him home, gave him his Tylenol, and laid him down for a nap. While he was laying down napping, I remember looking up at a poster. I had called my mom, actually at the time. She lived in New Mexico. And I called my mom, and I was talking to her. My eyes were on a poster that I had received three months before. See, I had gotten saved three months before at a Billy Graham crusade at the Oakland Coliseum. I was a brand new Christian. But on that poster I got at, that, <clears throat> at the Oakland Coliseum, it was a woman, and she's standing on the beach at sunset. And in big letters it says, he understands. Later that night I went to wake Dion up and he was having a really hard time waking up. And I knew that something was wrong. Now why I didn't call 911, I don't know, as a mom, I always felt like I was overreacting. So I called the advice nurse and they told me to take him to the hospital. So I loaded Dion up in his car seat, I buckled him in, I drove the 20 minutes to the emergency room. By the time I got in, Dion in, he was limp in my arms. The nurse came and she grabbed him and she took him and she ran down the hallway with my son. We got to uh, a room where there was a team of doctors and nurses waiting. And I remember one of the doctors and he said, <clears throat> he said, somebody get the mom out of here. But they were so busy that nobody had any time to do that. And it was as if I was watching a movie, like a, just a terrible movie. I didn't even feel like I was present, but watching it from above. And I remember that daily against that white wall in that hospital room and sliding down. A little while later, a nurse came and got me. She took me to a small room in the back of the hospital. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but your son has meningitis. And she said, we'll be taking transporting Dion to Children's Hospital in Oakland where he'll get the best care. So that night, about 11 o'clock at night, following the ambulance, we followed him to Children's Hospital. What the doctors proceeded to explain to us is that the meningitis had traveled through his body and it was now attacking his brain. And over the next 24 hours, they would do everything they could to get some response from his brain. So we waited, and at 23 hours later, in a, in a dark, dimlit hallway, the nurse came out to say, I'm sorry, there is nothing we can do. We could get no response from Dion's brain. Dion is brain dead. I went and sat by his side. A nurse came in and asked me a question. that would later on bring hope. But when you're sitting there by your, your child's side, and you know that's the last time you're gonna see them, it's the last time you're gonna hold them, there are no words for that.
Can we play the video? I remember you bare feet down the hallway. I remember your little laugh. Race cars on the kitchen floor, plastic dinosaurs. I love you to the moon and back. I remember your blue eyes looking into mine. Like we had our own secret club I remember you dancing before bedtime Then jumping on me, waking me up I can still feel you hold my hand, little man And even the moment I knew You fought it hard like an army guy Remember I leaned in and whispered to you for you. 
That's my little guy. That day in the hospital room, a nurse came in and he asked me, ma'am, would you consider your son to be an organ donor? And I want to back up for a minute because I want to tell you a story that had happened to me this summer before. Dion and I were driving down the road and he was in his back, in the back seat with his big sunglasses on and his booster seat. And I stopped at a red light and I looked to my right and on the bus stop, there was a sign. It was a picture of a little girl about four years old with brown curly hair and big eyes. And in big letters, it said organ donation. And I thought to myself, as I look back at Dion, there's a song playing on the radio by Trisha Yearwood saying, how can I live without you? And as I pondered those words of organ donation and I thought about my son and I thought if something ever happened to him, I could never allow him to be an organ donor. And now six months later, I'm faced and I'm asked with that decision, would I allow Dion to be an organ donor? And I surprised myself because I remember that conversation I had with myself six months prior to that. And instantly out of my mouth, I said, yes. Most importantly, I want him to be a heart donor. I knew how, how important the heart was. Allowing Dion to be an organ donor actually afforded me 24 more hours with him, to sit with him, to pray with him, to talk to him. And then on Monday night, January 27th of 1998. I knew what time it was going to be. It was 7 p.m. But as a mom, you look at that clock and you're like, I'm not ready to give up. I'm not ready to give my baby boy up. I knew there was nothing that could be done. But as a mom, like a mama bear comes out. And you don't, you're not going down without a fight. Nobody wanted to come in and get me. The nurse went out to the hallway where our family is waiting. And she asked, would somebody be willing to come and take this mom out? And there was only one volunteer, and it was my dad. And he said, I'll go get her. And he walked in like a good father. And he put his arm around me. We looked up at the clock, and he said, it's time. Probably the hardest thing to ever do was to get up. I had to walk out of that room. Later that night, Dion was transported to Stanford Hospital where he would be an organ, liver, and kidney donor. My world became very difficult. I was a brand new Christian and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to ease that pain. I tried everything. I went to a psychiatrist about six months later. Um, he'd never had kids. And he told me that I should make a target and I should throw potatoes and tomatoes at it and that's what would ease my pain. But that's not what would ease my pain. I went to support group for parents of lost children. Thank you. I went to a support group for parents of lost children, and, and that, was, that was even worse. Because when you leave every Tuesday, you not only leave with your pain and your hurt, 
but you leave with 30 other parents that have told that, their story that night and have lost their children, and some very tragic. Rick and I were still dating at the time, and there comes a point in every relationship when things aren't going right. And I did not know how to cope with the loss of my son. So what do you do when you know not what else to do? You go home to mom. Rick called my mom. And I know when she heard his voice, she knew something was wrong with her girl. It had been a trying 13 months. Rick told my mom, I don't know what else to do with her. We've tried everything. And she's just getting angrier and bitter and she's sad and cries all day long and I don't know how to help her so three days later Rick put me on a plane to New Mexico I remember getting to my mom's house my, my parents were believers at that point in time and I remember there's just such a peace in my mom's home nice home cooked meals, some candles my dad was on the worship team so he was upstairs playing music Over the next couple days, my mom and I read the Bible together. Joyce Myers, we watch Joyce Myers every day. Now I hear her voice and it takes me back right to that moment in time. But on Thursday, my mom had a plan. She wanted me to meet with her pastor, Pastor Mike. I walked into his office that day and it was very awkward. Never met this man before. My mom wants me to talk to him. It's been 13 months and over those 13 months, I built up a wall, so much anger, so much frustration. And as I sat down, Pastor Mike asked me what was going on. And honestly, I didn't want to go there. I did not want to tell him really what was going on. I had tried so many things over those 13 months and no healing came, just things got worse. Eventually, I knew I was struggling with myself. I knew that I had to talk as he sat there patiently waiting. And as I began to speak, he began to cry. See, he had a little boy, same age as Dion, little blonde hair, blue eyed little boy, and a little girl. And I think for that moment, he put himself in my shoes as a father as a pastor he listened so patiently so quietly and as I began to speak just the pain and the hurt and all that I had been through began to just pour out of my mouth out of my heart the anger, the frustration the sadness the loneliness when I was done speaking I sat quietly and he asked if he could share with me he was very gentle in his words. And he said, I just want to tell you, you are harboring unforgiveness. And if you do not let this unforgiveness go, it is going to destroy you. It will kill you. And you know what? I knew he was right. I knew I was going down that path of no return. I knew I needed to let go. He then proceeded to say, he says, you have unforgiveness towards the doctor. 
Because that day that I took him to the doctor, she mentioned meningitis. And as she brushed it aside, it was just the flu. He said, you have unforgiveness towards that doctor that she didn't do more. He said, you have unforgiveness towards Dion for leaving you. He said, you have unforgiveness towards God because he took your only son. And he said, you have unforgiveness towards yourself as you had guilt and unforgiveness. It's always that thought of what could I have done? Maybe I should have taken him to the doctor the night before. Maybe I should have taken him to the doctor sooner that day. And I remember when he was speaking, I knew I had to let go. At that point in time, I was willing to give it all up to Jesus. I was willing to let go and I knew that he was able. I knew that he was able to take all that pain from me, all that unforgiveness that I had in my heart, the guilt and the pain. I knew I could freely give it to Jesus. Pastor Mike asked if he could pray with me, and as he began to pray, I literally could feel the Lord touching my body. And Pastor Mike, I thought it was so strange. I was a newer believer, and he starts praying. He starts with the top of my head. But as he prayed over me, I literally physically could feel Jesus taking all the pain and all the hurt and all the unforgiveness. It was literally he was pulling it out of me. And that day, I want to tell you, when I walked out of Pastor Mike's office, I could not feel my feet touch the ground. Felt like I was on a cloud, like Jesus was whisking me out of there in his arms. And I gave it all to Jesus because I was willing and he was able. I love God's word. God's word that says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us in times of trouble. No matter what we've been through, what we've done, or what we've said, he is able to forgive. He is the almighty God that created each and every one of us. When I ponder, I lost my only son. I think about God, and God gave his one and only son to die on the cross for me, to die on the cross for you. He willingly gave his son that he would shed his blood on the cross at Calvary, that we may have eternal life with him. What, what a God. I, I don't know that I could ever willingly give my son for people that would disown me, for people that would turn their back on me. But God gave his son for each of us. I was pondering this last few weeks. I was telling my husband, in my prayer time, I've been pondering this. God gave his one and only son not only for those of us that would believe, but he gave his son for those, to give them an opportunity for those that would even never, ever come to know him. 
he gave his son for a chance, for an opportunity, for a life, for us to have that relationship with him. And I'm so very grateful. And can I just say, when you give it all to Jesus, there is a joy in your life. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that joy begins to radiate out of you, right? I don't know your stories, but each of you have one. You've all been through something in life. You've all had to give something to God. Or there's something that you need to give to God tonight. A couple months later, I went to an organ donation ceremony. So when you're an organ donor family, they do a beautiful celebration that honors your loved one. They put a book together. They have you come up on stage. They give you a silk rose and a medal. And they, they do a beautiful job of just thanking organ donor families that have given the gift of life to somebody else. That day, I went there with about 13 family members. And there was joy in my heart because I knew that God had a plan for Dion, even though it wasn't my plan for him because he became an organ donor and he saved the lives of other people. So other people didn't have to go through and suffer what I went through. That day I walked across the stage and I got my, my medal and my silk rose. And we got up to leave that afternoon. And a woman came up to me and she grabbed me by the arm. And she said these exact words, if I do not do this now, I will regret it for the rest of my life. And it's an emotional day and I just thought this poor woman She's got the wrong person. I don't know who she is. And then she said these words. She said, my daughter has your son's heart. And I began to cry. And I said, her name is Melissa, isn't it? She said, how did you know my daughter's name? See, shortly after the transplant, Rick's grandma lived in Modesto, his grandparents. And on the front page of the Modesto B, there is a picture of a little girl that had just received a heart transplant from a little boy from Oakland Children's Hospital on the same night that Dion became an organ donor. I remember, do you remember phone books? Well, Rick's grandma and I, she's pretty mischievous. We got out the phone book and we found her mom's, we found two of the same name. And she said, should we call them? Like, I don't know. It was such an awkward thing. Like, what do I say? I pick up and say, your daughter has my son's heart. I didn't know what to say. And, and I knew who she was. I was so excited because she was a beautiful little two-year-old girl. I kept that picture, that little clipping Rick's grandma saved out of the newspaper. And I never reached out. So when she said, my daughter has your son's heart, I knew exactly who it was. And then she said, would you like to meet her? She's out in the hallway, and I wasn't sure that you would want to meet her, but I brought her anyways. And of course, I had to say yes. And through just a very emotional and teary-eyed, this is, can you put the next picture? This is, this is our first picture together. And that's in uh, 1999. So that's Melissa and her mom, Julie.
that little girl was a glimmer of hope. Through such tragedy, through such pain and turmoil, that was that glimmer of hope. See, God always has hope for us. Sometimes we need to let some stuff go so we can see that hope and that plan that he has through our tragedy and our trials. God always triumphs. He's so, so good to us. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Since I have time, I'm like, this is fantastic. My kind of church service. So that afternoon, we got to sit there for about three hours, and I got to talk to Melissa's mom, Julie, and I got to spend time with Melissa, and I got to hold her and talk to her. And as we sat across the table from each other, I was wearing this necklace. On Dion's first Christmas that he was gone, I had asked Rick for something that I thought was impossible. I said, I want one gift. I want a gold heart locket with Dion's picture inside. I want a cross and I want a diamond, which was his birthstone. And my husband, he's so amazing, he found it. So I was wearing this necklace and Julie, uh, Julie asked me, I love your necklace, tell me about it. And I said, oh, she asked me about the diamond. I said, oh, that was Dion's birthstone. And she said, well, when was Dion born? And I said, he was born in April. She said, my son was born in April. And she said, what day was Dion born? I said, well, Dion was born April 23rd. She said, my son was born April 23rd. And she said, what year was your son born? And I said, Dion was born on April 23rd of 1993. And she said, my son Josh was born on April 23rd of 1993. And we actually, I didn't bring it today, but we actually have pictures of them and they're wearing the same clothes and he's blonde hair and blue eye just like Dion was. And I have got to watch him grow into a young man. And when I look at him, I often wonder if that's what Dion would look like. If that's what kind of man Dion would be like. What a little blessing from God that his heart donor's brother would be born on the same day and same month and same year as Dion. Can you put the next slide? So over the years, this is my girls. And that's Melissa as she was growing up. And so their family did such an amazing job in incorporating us in so many of their family and life events. We were at Melissa's, her 13th birthday was a pony birthday party. So we did that, we rode ponies. And we were at her 18th birthday, her high school graduation, birthday parties, her little sister's birth, very, very exciting time to be able to grow up and to be able to watch Melissa grow up too. What a blessing to think that God would allow me to see the life that Dion saved. To have that hope that this was the outcome that was painful for me. But this little girl got to live because of Dion. A few years ago, 
Melissa was told that she was going to need a second heart transplant. When she got Dion's heart, the doctors had given her only five to ten years to live with Dion's heart. And I serve a big God, and I pray, God, give her 20 years. Give her 20 years. Give her longer than a doctor could ever hope for. At 19 years, though, the doctors began to talk about a second heart transplant. Her heart had been nicked in a procedure and it was leaking fluid. And so she was getting a second heart transplant. She told Rick and I that in order for them to even be put on the heart transplant list to be able to start the process, she would need 20% of what the medical cost doesn't cover. She had insurance, but there's aftercare costs, living expenses, and medications that the insurance wouldn't cover. And I asked her, how much is it? And she said, we need $100,000. She said, we need 20% of that, which would be $20,000 just to begin the process of being on, put on the heart transplant list. That night, my girls and I had went to visit her and we had, on our way home, had stopped and picked up Rick for dinner. We were out back steakhouse in Pittsburgh. And I told Rick, they need $100,000. And I knew what my husband was going to say. He said, I want to raise $100,000 for Melissa's second heart transplant. And so we went to our church and we asked if they would help us. And we put together a video. And um, we'll play the next video and so you can get a glimpse of that. Better be better than saving a person's life. How about doing it again? This is just what an Antioch couple is trying to do for a young woman in Modesto. Garvin Thomas joins us now to share this incredible story of sacrifice and generosity in tonight's Bay Area Proud. This is amazing. Terry, Janelle, uh, Jennifer Fuller told me there was a time years ago when she was convinced in the awful case of losing a child, she couldn't go through with an organ donation. Well, that awful case did happen. And Jennifer surprised herself when she insisted on it. It was literally a gift that keeps on giving. Have you seen the one where we have five generations? Blended families come together in all sorts of ways. Oh, look at this one. Most often, of course, through divorce and marriage. But for Jennifer and Rick Fuller and Julie Logan Brooks, their two families are forever joined through death and life. The death coming 21 years ago when Jennifer's son, Dion, died suddenly from meningitis at the age of just four. Uh, I remember it was a, a female doctor, and she said, I'm so sorry, but there's nothing that we can do. Your, your son is brain dead. Um, <sighs> Dion's heart, though, went on to save the life of a two-year-old girl in Modesto, Melissa Logan, Julie's daughter. And though identities in such cases are often kept confidential, at a donor and recipient celebration one year later, Julie put two and two together and approached Jennifer. I remember just kind of hold, grabbing a hold of her and said, can I talk to you for a minute? And she's like, yeah. And I just said, my daughter has your son's heart. And then she said the most amazing words is she said, would you like to meet her? She says she's in the lobby. This is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, I love that one. It was the beginning of a 20-year love story. The Fullers being there for every one of Melissa's birthdays, graduations, and transplant anniversaries, reveling in the fact that Dion's heart made it all possible. But Dion's heart can do it no more. It is failing, and Melissa has been told 
She will soon need another transplant. I really don't know how long it'll be until that call is made. And when it is, Melissa has insurance to cover the medical costs. But her family estimates they will need $100,000 for aftercare expenses. Money, Julie says, they just don't have. We were told right away that we needed a fundraise. <laughs> but Julie won't have to take that on. Because once again, in Melissa's time of need, the Fullers are there. So we called uh, Julie, Melissa's mom, and said, would you be okay if we spearhead this project? Just because they saved Melissa's life once, the Fullers believe, is no reason not to do it again. I can't even imagine life without that. They're absolutely amazing. I think it's just pure, unconditional love. When all is said and done, the biological link between these two families will be gone. But their bond will be stronger than ever. As I said, uh, Melissa doesn't know when. She's been told she will need a heart transplant. She's not on the transplant list yet. They have to see how her conditions go, but it's a lot of money to raise, and so they are told you need to start years ahead of time getting that money together. I've put a link to the Fuller's fundraising effort on my Facebook page, Garvin Thomas, NBC Bay Area, if you want to check that out. But uh, I think my first question to the, the Fuller's when I met them was, haven't you done enough? <laughs> Haven't you done enough? And they're like, nope. They're like, they're, she's family to us Yeah, now. it's a forever bond. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, we're now supporting gonna, both those families. Yeah, they're going to keep it going. Yeah, for sure. So we began to spearhead that. And God is so good in 12 weeks on Mother's Day, we had raised $100,000 from Melissa's heart transplant. All glory to God for that one, or for everything. Um, one of the cool things is there's a lot of doctor's appointments that begin to take place when you're now she's able financially to be put on that heart transplant list. And there's a lot of doctor's appointments and tests that she needs to go through. Well, they were amazing. And, and Julie wanted to be able to include me in that. And so I remember on one of the first um, doctor's appointments, um, I got to go in for Melissa's echogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart. And I actually got to watch uh, Dion's heart beating inside of Melissa. And I will just say it was a very surreal moment to be able to have that opportunity. Uh, the doc doctor's appointments became more and more frequent as she got closer to, to that transplant. And uh, there was an uh, early morning appointment one day. And so we went and spent the night the night before. And uh, girls, you know this. Um, you know, when you're with a bunch of girlfriends, you want to stay up all night long talking, right? We could stay up, my husband would be going to bed, and us girls would be up talking. And so that's what we did that night. Melissa and Julie and some other friends, and we got to stay up that night, and we were talking. And about 2 a.m. that night, or in the morning now, it was time to go to bed. Well, it just so happened that I would be bunking with Melissa that night. And as I lay my head down, I thought, my son died 20 years ago, but I am laying next to his beating heart in the same bed with me, 
I don't know that anybody in all the world could say that 20 years after they had lost their loved one, that their heart would share the same bed with him. I remember laying there just praying, tears rolling down my cheeks. I was praising God because only he could give me that special moment that I could be there, that I could experience that, that feeling one last time of having Dion's heart next to me. Over the next year, um, all the tests were completed. Melissa, we put on now on the heart transplant list. She had to wait two years for a heart because, but because of modern technology and medicine. And that was sped up very quickly. And a few weeks later, I received a call on a Friday morning from Julie's, <coughs> Julie, Melissa's mom, and she was crying. And she said, Jen, we got the call. I'd heard that term over the years, the call. She talks about when she first got the call that Melissa's, that they had transplanted a heart for Melissa. For Dion, she said, I got in the car and I began to drive to the hospital. And she said, I began to feel guilty because I knew that in order for my daughter to live, somebody else had to die. And she said, I exited the freeway and decided I could not allow my daughter to go through with receiving a heart. And she called her social worker. And she, the social worker told her it's called survivor's guilt. And she said, but a family willingly gave their child's heart to be a gift of life to your child. She got back on the road unless I had that heart transplant. And now, again, she calls me and she says, I got the call. And she says, I'm really struggling again. I told her, listen, a family lost their loved one, but they want to give life. They want to give the gift of life to your daughter. It reminds me of God's gift to us. His son Jesus on the cross at Calvary. He gave us a free gift. All we have to do is receive. All we have to do is receive. She got Melissa on the phone and I prayed with them. We met them at the hospital. Autumn and I drove up as Labor Day weekend. I was there, I prayed with them. I couldn't see Melissa. But Autumn and I sat outside the hospital for three days. It's 90 degrees in Palo Alto, who would have ever thought? And we just prayed for her. On September 4th, her new heart was a success. And she had a long road ahead of her, but she's doing really good. I was so excited for her. At the same time, I realized, at the same time that that heart began to beat in her, her new heart, that meant that for the last time, Dion's heart stopped beating on September 4th of 2021. 
he gave 22 and a half years of life to Melissa. And I'm so grateful for that. Think about he gave life, he gave his heart, and he gave hope. And isn't that what God does for us? He gave us life. He gave us his heart. He gave his only son for us. And he gives us hope. And I just want to tell you that God loves you. And that no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, how you've been hurt, only you know, and God knows, the deepest part of you and he wants to love you. He wants to heal you. But you have to be willing. See, Jesus is willing to go to the cross for you. He was willing to go to the cross for me. And he loves you. And when we give it all to Jesus, when we let go of those burdens, and Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And God's word does not return void. And when we give it all to him, he, gives it, he takes that burden from us. He loves us so much. I'm so grateful. And then we give it all to him. He gives us hope. We're never without hope. In the darkest valleys, when I was laying by Dion's bedside, and for a brief moment, there was no hope until that nurse walked in and asked if I'd be willing to allow Dion to be an organ donor. And there was that glimmer of hope that I needed to hold on to. God gives us hope. I want to invite you to just stand to your feet. As the worship team gets ready. You know, as I was sitting there, she 